lot of traffic on the road. You know, I passed a lot of churches, didn't have very many cars in the parking lot, but they were all out on the road. I don't know what is going on exactly. I imagine that all the people who live here, man, it's so hot, they've left. And all the people who are out there thinking, man, let's go to Florida in July, you know. So anyway, um, saw a little cartoon. On, probably many of you saw it on the uh, uh, maybe Facebook or <clears throat> Internet or something, a little drawing cart kind of cartoon. These uh, um, evidently tourists getting off an elevator, and they have all their, their beach stuff on, beach balls in their hand. And uh, the devil's waiting on them, and there's fire behind them. And the devil's saying, Florida, one floor below. <laughs> you know. So anyway, we know, we know it's pretty warm here. And so, uh, but anyway, we want to take our Bibles this morning, and just glad you're here. And uh, hope that you're going to be tuning in, because this is a very important message I'm going to share with you. As you notice, I have three chairs back here, and this is an illustration I've been doing for years. In fact, this is the 15th anniversary of the chair illustration. And... Uh, and so I'm celebrating today, but I'm going to use it as a point of introduction, and then we're going to move on, and uh, I'm going to share some, um, some insights from these passages. And really, there's two passages, one found in Judges 2, because Judges 2 is a result of not doing Deuteronomy 6. So we'll be looking briefly at both, in fact, more than briefly, at these passages this morning. But I know that um, I've said before, said it last week, that, wow, I could preach on the current events every single week. What happened in Paris, that horrible thing that happened in Paris, terrorist attack there, and then uh, the thing with Turkey with the uh, military coup uh, failing. Everything's happening, it seems like, all around our world. And I know that this is not our plan. This is not what we envision. In fact, however you feel about uh, the deaths and that happened in Dallas with policemen, uh, however you feel about the, uh, the Louisiana death and the Minnesota death, nobody, no parent ever has a vision of their child going that way. No parent ever has a vision of their children maybe having a rap sheet as long as my arm and then get killing on, killed on the street. No one has a vision of a drug addict. No one has a vision of their, their children dying at such a young age. And we certainly, our hearts go out to all the parents and all the wives, even, the, of course, especially the children that are affected by all these things. But it causes me to reflect on vision, period. And we talked about a vision for the church a few weeks ago and then a vision for your life last week. What about a vision for your family, for parenting? Now, I know that we don't have, um, everybody here does not have children. Some of you have grandchildren even. Some of you are grandparents, some of you are parents, some of you aren't parents at all, but all of us can identify with the illustration and the passage that I'm about to share with you this morning. And so I want to ask you a question. If the building lives that matter by leading people to a growing relationship with Christ, if that's our vision, and you have a vision for your own spiritual growth, what is your vision for your family? I mean, what are you doing? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What's, what's the aim? What? What, do, what, what is all of this, this about? Because certainly, as it's been said, few things in life reach the level of importance of being chosen by God to mold the life of another human being. And nothing is tougher. Nothing is harder. Sometimes you just too poop to parent. I think about all the things I, I should have done, would have done, done more of, whatever, when I was, my kids were growing up. Wish I'd have done that. But, you know, as a grandparent... And having the children around, at the end of the day, everybody's just tired. 
Everybody's worn out. And so you're kind of limited, you think, on what you can do. So what can you do? Well, in Judges chapter uh, 2, we read this concerning the first generation. This is the commentary of the first generation that came out of Egypt. If you remember, the, the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt back in the book of Exodus. Moses was called to bring them out of, the, out of Egypt into the wilderness, but they could not go into the promised land because of disobedience. Well, during this 40-year time, Moses died, Joshua took over, and there was a generation that was born in the wilderness during this time. So let's read about it. Verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had been who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, in the north of Gaish, Mount Gaish. Now look at verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done. Now, as you look at this passage, I bring in the, the, three, chair, the three chairs illustration. And what this is about, um, a lot of people, you know, seen this before, and a lot of people have even maybe read it in a book or two in the last uh, few years. But really what this is about is, is a story. And the story goes like this. The, the first generation, represented by Joshua, came along. And Joshua, the Bible says, loved the Lord, served the Lord, was passionate about God. There arose another generation called the elders, still born, you know, a little bit younger than Joshua. But the elders of the church knew about God and about the things of God, but there was not that kind of commentary that was made about Joseph. Then the third generation came along, and the amazing thing about this passage is the very first generation that came along that was born in the wilderness did not follow the Lord, represented by the third chair. And so we, we find a pattern here, and it's usually generational. And the generation is this. The first generation comes along, and they are first chair believers. And you can see the contrast here on the, the, uh, the PowerPoint. It says the first chair, they're saved. They know God intimately. They're committed. The lordship of Jesus Christ is real in their life. They're passionate on fire for God. The second chair believer, however, comes up and he says, well, I don't know. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not. Maybe they were once here, but now they're kind of living their life here and kind of going back and forth a little bit. Or maybe they're just not saved at all because look at the, look at the characteristics of this, according to Bruce Wilkerson. He says, they know about God. They're compromising. Everything's out of convenience. They compartmentalize their life. Oh, this is just, I've heard this said, I've been in homes before where people say, now, now pastor, hold on just a minute. I'm going to have to get with you later. This is business. You know, what they're saying is, is that I'm compartmentalizing my life. Sunday is a time for church, but this is a time for real life. They're warm toward God. Then the third chair comes along, not saved, does not know God, confused, uncertain about truth, and they're cold to the gospel. And here's the thing. First chair believers usually raise up second chair people. Second chair people usually raise up third chair people. And so what's the problem? Here's, here, we can see this, by the way, in the Bible throughout. We, we have uh, David, 
The Bible says he served God. In fact, he, he was a man after God's own heart. He had a son by the name of Solomon. We don't know where Solomon is today. We don't know whether he's in heaven or not. By the way, he lived his life pretty tough. Then we read the book of Ecclesiastes with all of his struggles. Well, we just don't know. Terrible thing not to know. He had a son by the name of Rehoboam. I have no doubt about Rehoboam. Didn't follow the Lord at all as king of Israel and took the nation of Israel, not only split the kingdom, but he took it down as well. And so we find these three things. Now, the question is this, how do we raise a first chair believer? In fact, there's just two questions this morning. What is the aim of parenting? What are we doing? And second of all, how we do it? How do we do it? How do we give our children and our grandchildren the best chance to sit in this chair rather than the other two? I want us to look at this passage and understand the reason why this was a commentary and this happened in the nation of Israel because they did not do what God asked them to do. And so, first of all, I want us to see what the aim is. What did God say to do? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we've said before, this is the most recited passage in all the Bible, called the Shema, and it says, Hear, O Israel, verse 4, the Lord is, is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you'll bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontals on your forehead what did he say he says you shall teach them the number one job of a parent is to teach number one job now i'm not talking about homeschool i'm not talking about even doing homework I'm talking about being the teacher in the house. In fact, Ephesians 6, 4, it says this. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, discipline has to do with, with, with teaching because you're holding someone accountable, you're disciplining them, you're, you know, I don't know, timeout, spanking, whatever, all that's included, but it's a teaching tool. Instruction, of course, in the original Greek, means to teach. And so the job of a parent is to run a school of theology because theology really is just the study of God. And so our job is to teach our children not only how to live, how to grow up, but teach them the things of God. We're to do it in the home. We're to do it at church. We're to do it in life. Now, you've heard someone say before, well, it takes a village to, to raise a child. I don't believe that, but it does take a church to raise up a child in the way they should go. It takes an entire body of Christ. We didn't get the way we are as adults by ourselves, and we need help to become more conformed to the image of Christ. We need the help not only of God, but other people around us as well. And the same is true with children. I've, uh, I shared with you uh, last week about being in a roundtable discussion this past month and the question was asked, how do, you, how do you develop disciples? Since we're called to make disciples as pastors, how do you do that when people aren't here? And the answer is, of course, as I said last week, you don't because people have to be committed and to follow and be there uh, where, while you're teaching. But then the same guy brought up an observation. He says, I have good Christian people in my church that are raising their children out of church. 
Now, that sounds contradictory. It sounds like more it's coming from this chair, and it probably is, but maybe not necessarily because there's some over here that are really struggling. Your children want this, 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 and this. Everybody's doing this, 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 and this. So you're going to have your child do this, this, even if it means not being here on Sunday. And it's a very difficult thing because we're to teach them in the home. We're to teach them at church. We're to grow ourselves. So what is the real aim of parenting? Well, look in chapter 6 and verse 2. It gives it right here. So that, he says, you obey all the commands, so that your son and your grandson might fear the Lord, your God, to keep all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So here's the aim, in a nutshell, of parenting. To raise your children to love God with all their heart, to train them to live for God, and to equip them to pass their faith down to the next generation. Now notice what I said there. I didn't just say raise your child, but raise your child to love God, train them how to walk with God so that they can train the next generation. And so we're not looking at a one-generational thing. We're looking at a two-generational thing. Our aim, our, the Bible says children are like arrows that we shoot out into the world. Where's the aim? Where's the target? There's the target. Deuteronomy 6.2 gives us the target. Now, how do we get there? What are the actions that we need to take as parents that, to give our children the best shot at getting here? Remember, parenting is influence. That's all it is. But influence is, is a lot. Influence is huge. The person that has the most influence over your child will rule their life. You know, when they, when they get wedded to, to someone that they're, they're thrilled about, impression always results in expression. So their lives are changed because they're impressed with someone. And someone is influencing them. So how do you do that? Number one, you teach them the wonder of God. If there's one thing that I wish I would have done better as a parent that I didn't do, it's this right here because I didn't even know. I didn't even put it together. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then it says, in, uh, look down in verse 12, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord and your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Then look at verse 20. When your son asks you, now this is huge, huge. When your son asks you in time, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean when the Lord God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of, from Egypt with a mighty hand. Then it goes on to talk about some more things. What's he saying here? You make sure that your children know about the wonders of God, the awesomeness of God. You make sure your children know the stories of your salvation experience. The first generation, listen, the first generation that came along after the wilderness, the very first one did not even know the stories of God. They didn't know about the Red Sea experience. They didn't know about the, the plagues in Egypt. They didn't know about the miracles that brought them out of Egypt. They didn't know about the water coming from a rock and bread falling from it. They did not know the wonders of God. And so, not knowing the wonders of God, they weren't following 
the wonders of God. What about us? He said, well, I don't have any testimonies like that where I struck a rock and water came out. You know, some of you have been healed of things before. That's a story. Many of you have been saved. Jesus has come into your heart, and you can tell that miraculous story. But what about just living? That's what it says as you walk by the way, as you talk in your house, as you sit in your house. Teach your children the wonders of God. Look at the human body. Look at the eyes, the, the thousands of nerves and the parts that go in just to sing. What a wonder. So I can't explain all that. Well, what about the nose? Everybody has a nose, right? You got a nose? Raise your hand if you have a nose. Look at the one next to you. All right, and the one maybe on the other side. You know, no, everybody has a nose, but no nose is just alike. You ever notice that? And the nose, thank God, is right in the middle of the face and it points down. Now, what if the nose pointed up? The nostrils were pointing up. And, you know, you'd have to have a hat or an umbrella every time you went out in the rain. I mean, you know, news at 11, man drowns, you know. Well, what happened? Well, he went out in the rain without an umbrella. <laughs> what do you expect? Or somebody says, well, well, you know, the nose could be on the back of the head. Thank God it's not on the back of the head. You know, you, you have to, all you ladies and men have to shave a red. Well, man, you got a big ball spot in the back of your head. What's wrong? i got to breathe, you know. My nose is back there. No, God put it in the right place. That's a wonder. And look at the garden or even cooking. Cooking, for example. You know, you, you take some of these beans. And I know the beans now that we have, a lot of times we open a can, kind of pour them out warm them up a little bit. That's how I cook when I cook. But you know these beans, they actually come in a packet in the grocery store. Did you know that? Some of you, did you know that? And you throw them in a pan and, and you begin to cook, I don't know, pinto beans or uh, black-eyed peas like that. Fresher. And uh, you can go down to the market and get them. But if you were to take a bean and say, um, son, you know where this bean came from? I'd tell you what he'd say. Grocery store. I was there when you picked it up. Well, let me tell you where this bean really came from before it got to the grocery store. If you were to take this bean and put it in the ground, after a while, the bean would crack open and it would start growing. A plant, a big plant, would start growing up from it and spread out, and all these leaves would be there. And then if you look through there, there's beans all over. Now, not just these little beans, but they're, they're beans inside of a thing called we call a shell. And so there's a lot of things. God made the shell to protect the, the peas and the beans from the insects. And here they are. And now somebody picked them, somebody shelled them, somebody put them in a bag, and here they are. But God did this with one bean. He, he produced hundreds, hundreds of beans. Are we teaching our children the wonders of God. Here, we cracked an egg. Hey, where did this egg come from? It came from a hen who laid it, and now we're cracking it open, and now we're getting to eat eggs in the morning. Everywhere you go, the tree outside, well, there's a tree cut down. There's circles all around it. Well, this is just the age of the tree. Somebody put a little twig here. In our front yard, for example, we moved in our house about 17 years ago. And we planted, well, we didn't plant them. I mean, the, the builder planted a couple of little bitty twig trees in our yard and now we just had to have them trimmed because the the limbs are just hanging over the driveway and hanging over the grass and killing the grass all this is happening it's just 
the, the limbs were actually kind of hitting our car on the way by because now they're huge. You couldn't fit hardly of these trees now in this building as far as the height. Why? Because of the miracles, the wonder of God. Now, what happens and what has happened in our life when we do not teach the chil our children the wonders of God? They, they're wondering about something. They're amazed by something. They're amazed by Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. They're amazed by all the things that they, they're just amazed by that. But also, maybe they're amazed by their problems. They grow up being amazed and, and wonder at their problems. Why? Well, when we're sitting in the house, what do we talk about? We talk about our problems. Well, my parents are really going through a lot. Man, they can't hardly, I mean, you know, they must be sitting here because they just can't hardly handle their problems. So they're growing up thinking, my problems are just overwhelming me and there's no wonder of God there. There's no way that God can overcome all my problems. Didn't do it for my parents. I mean, they, it did, but more problems came along. And they're, they're just overwhelmed by their problems. Or maybe they're in wonder of themselves. They're amazed by themselves. Because after all, the world has revolved around them all their life. And we've given them trophies when they didn't win and certificates of participation. And the coaches and the teachers were always wrong. And so they're amazed at themselves. And they grow up being amazed at something. And the result is they grow up and they think, hey, you know, I've been challenged, you know, in high school by this whole creation story. Do you really believe that, Mom, Dad? Do you really believe that? I mean... This big bang thing coming along, you know, what, what about that? I, I find it very hard to believe the resurrection that somebody would be dead and rise again. How can I believe that? Well, because I grew up believing in the wonders of God and seeing all the things that God was doing in people's lives. It's just an easy transition. And I tell you another easy transition. You go from the wonder of God to the worship of God. And I'm not talking about just singing because... The, the worship of God is really something that happens on the inside and not first on the outside. But I want you to notice what happened here with the nation of Israel in Judges chapter 2. It says in verse 11, And the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? They, they didn't follow God anymore, verse 10. And so they did evil and they served the Baals, idol worship. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods who were among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed themselves down to them, and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. Everybody's going to worship something. I've said it before. You choose who you're going to worship or what you're going to worship. You put confidence in what you worship, and then that which you worship begins to control your life. Now, what if your children sitting right here because of the wonders of God. Now they're moved to put Jesus first in their life. And because they're moved by the Lordship of Christ and they're on fire for the Lord, other things come in their life. Temptations come in their life. Some young girl's going out on a date and she really loves this guy. And he's saying, hey, if you love me, you let me. I mean, you know, come on. Everybody's doing it. And she looks at him and thinks to herself, you know, I've already got a God. I don't worship you. Hey, you can't accept me for who I am and, and who I follow, then, then maybe we need to go a different direction. I've already got a God. Oh, look, try this drug. Why should I try that drug? What, what's it going to do? Well, it, might get, it could, I guess, get you addicted. Why in the world would I want to do that when I'm already addicted to Christ? I'm already wed to him. Why should I do that? 
And so we look and we think the things that are happening in our life, we look at it and we begin to turn our heart and turn our life to Jesus. Well, we wonder, we have the wonder of God, which leads to the worship of God, putting Christ first, then that leads, well, to some instruction. Now, if I am awed by God, then he is first place in my life. The first thing I'm going to want to know, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Which is the word of God. Isn't it great how God starts all these off with W's? Isn't that great? Just being a smart aleck, I'm sorry. Um, The word of God. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Look in verse 25. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all his commandments before the Lord our God just as he commanded us. Kids, everybody thinks. Kids think. They interpret from their own life. And they interpret things as they see them. That's why it's so important. We'll come to that in just a moment about the demonstration of the parents as well. But children were created by God to be interpreters. And so they look and they think to themselves, is the Bible really real? Well, they have the wonder of God, and they think to themselves, wow, God is sovereign. God is all, he's the ruler of the entire universe. He made the entire universe. Look what's happened here. Look, look, look what God's doing in my own life. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at one time. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. Why wouldn't he create a book to give me instruction that was authentic, authoritative, and perfect? Why would he give me a manual that is just filled with errors? It's like a car, you know, getting a car manual when you buy a used car and the guy and the owner tells you, hey, look, don't look in that car manual. There's all kinds of errors in there. Where are they? Well, we don't know. It just depends on what mechanic you talk to. No, you wouldn't, you wouldn't use it at all. And so our young people and our adults looking and say, well, I don't know about this creation story. I don't know about the resurrection. I don't know about this part. I mean, this part is not according to our culture. So I believe, you say, not that I believe, but you believe. I believe culture, which another word for culture, as we said, is the world. I believe that worldliness speaks into the Bible. So the Bible's in flux. You know, if the Bible and culture disagree, you've got to side with culture. You don't want to be on the outside looking in. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. That's what you do. And that gets us into further and further and further trouble because pretty soon, if we can't trust God for the things that we don't necessarily understand, we are not going to trust him for the things that we do understand. Why? Well, it's, it's, it's just not perfect. It's not right. But here's what the Bible says about itself. All Scripture, every in the Greek, that means all of it. All means all. Say that word with me. All means all. Everyone is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This word inspired means God breathed. God breathed it all. You say, well, there's an Old Testament. You know, if you believe this, there's an Old Testament passage that teaches that. I'm not saying that we don't interpret the Bible. Some of the things were meant for the Jewish people in their laws. And Jesus came and died on the cross for those ceremonial laws. And you say, well, yeah, but it says this in the Old Testament, and, and we don't believe that exactly. You know, here's the thing. What about the grace of God? What about the grace? The grace of God does not change how God feels about sin. 
It only changes the way he deals with it. And so we trust the Bible and we say, this is it. This is what it's all about. Therefore, I can trust God with the tough stuff. And when I get in trouble, when I get in trouble, I, I know I can trust it. And the problem that we have so often, guys, I know that I, I know we have the world to deal with. I know we have schools and the media and television and <clears throat> but also the number one thing that your kids are going to ask themselves is this. Do my parents really, really, really believe it? Now, you may be sitting right here, and your child thinks to themselves, I know what they believe, I know they really believe it, I know it works, and I feel guilty, but I'm not going to follow it anyway. They may make that decision. But they are surely going to make the decision not to follow Christ if you're sitting here. Do my parents really mean it? Do they really believe it? Do they believe in the wonder of God? Do they believe he's the, the God of this whole universe? And he's awesome. Well, not really. They don't really trust him. They, they think their problems are awesome. Well, do they really believe in the word of God? Oh, well, they, they believe in some of it, but there's a compromise here and a compromise here. And not, they, do you really believe it? The demonstration of it all. Well, finally, if you have the wonder of God, which leads to the worship of God, which leads to the word of God, that leads to the work of God in your life and the life of your children. In Deuteronomy, again, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. The heart is mentioned so many times, just hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. And Paul Tripp, I said it best, the heart is a causal core of personhood. It's who you are. The Bible calls it mind, will, and emotions together. And, but love speaks about the heart. And the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Watch your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What's in the heart? What's in the heart? Tripp, Paul Tripp tells a story about his family growing up and how some of the family was really kind of, I guess, seedy and, and, and not real wholesome. And they were at a family reunion, and he was in the living room, and his uncle began to make all kinds of sexual talk and suggestions to the crowd. He was drunk. And his mother, he said his mother was on the front porch. She heard about it. She ran in and grabbed he and his brother, drug them out to the car, put them in the car, and began to almost drive off when she turned around she says I'm gonna tell you something guys boys I want you to listen to me and I want you to listen good and never 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 forget it and he didn't but he said your uncle did not say things that he didn't mean all the alcohol did was reveal what was already in his heart so what's in the heart what's there you say well I know I know my kids are saved I, I know they are I mean, I, I, saw them, I saw them right here in this church or in one of the other buildings get baptized. They gave their heart to Christ. They were baptized. I saw it myself. I saw it. But then they, they leave church. When they get out of high school, they just left. Well, they'll come back. Well, about half do. Half don't. 
And the question comes up over and over again in all the articles and books that I read, why are the young people leaving the church? And the young people are saying, it's the church's fault. It's the parents' fault. You know, if the church would just do this and not have so much entertainment, or the church would do this and preach the word more, and if the church would do this and we preach the word, we have people leave too. What's the problem? The problem is very, very simple. They never were Christians. They never had received Christ. They were just complying with their parents because their parents made them go to church, which is a good thing. Hey, they may get something when they come. Their parents just made them, they, they wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do, so they, they, they sort of gave an expression of their Christianity. But by the fruit you shall know them. I'll give this little illustration here, and then I have to close. But on the, um, we, I grew up in a little town called Bogart, Georgia, right outside of Athens. And my dad built a house, and we had one of those driveways, gravel driveways, and right beside it was an apple tree that he planted himself. And the problem with the apple tree, it was something wrong with it. It was diseased of some type. It just grew green apples. They never turned red. And every once in a while, I'd, believe me, I'd never touch these things. They look really rough. But he would come along every once in a while, pick one, take a bite, spit it out, and throw it away. Always hoping that somehow things would get ripe. Well, suppose my dad was thinking to himself, you know, I bet you people are laughing at me. I got to do something about this tree. And so he goes out to the supermarket, just suppose, and he buys these red, delicious apples. And he glues them to the tree. <laughs> All right? And people are passing by and say, wow, that John Mercer, man, he really has a green thumb. Look at those red, delicious apples. I'm, they're not even in season. My goodness, we don't even grow them in this part of the country. <laughs> you know, He's a genius. And he comes along and picks one of those things and eats it before it rots. And every year he begins to glue these apples. Well, we eventually sold the house. And so you can imagine somebody coming along and seeing those red delicious apples. Oh, I can't wait to get them. Oh, my dad says, let me pick one for you. And he hands it to him. He eats it and says, wow, these are really good. And it's a selling point to the house. Well, the next season rolls around and there's nothing but green apples on it. Paper clips and Elmer's glue. Why? Because it was not organic. It wasn't coming from the roots. It was just kind of pasted on. And here's what is happening with a lot of these people and all of these people that are in church. They're just apples glued to a tree, and they get to the point in their life where they don't have to go to church anymore. They don't have to impress their parents or they talk about going to church when they're living somewhere else, when they're going to college, but they're really not going because they want to satisfy you. But the apples begin to rot, fall off the tree because it's not real. It's just not real. So which chair are you in today? You know, the only way to get someone here is, is to change the heart. Only God can do that. How? Conviction. You're feeling this morning, yes, I'm here or I'm here. That's conviction. God's revealing something to you. That's, that's huge. Second is confession and repentance, and only God can grant repentance. That's a gift. You say, yeah, I feel like I need to repent. That's a gift from God. And then a complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, 
the way you live your life affects down several generations. And so I can challenge you today to begin to teach the wonder of God. Start there. The wonder of God as you go. Even when your child says, oh, I don't want to hear that again. Come on. Teach it anyway. The wonder of God. But also, I just ask you a question today. Which chair are you in? Which chair are you in right now? Because in order for you to raise a child like this, you have to be there yourself. You say, well, does that ever happen? Oh, oh yeah. I know of some third chair to raise a first chair, but not because of them, but in spite of them. If you're going to intentionally have real fruit on the tree, you've got to demonstrate it by giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the wonderful God who is so awesome, he can overcome anything in your life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, you're not in the first chair, and so we'll assume for just a moment that because you're not there, you're not a believer. I realize that there are some that are saying to themselves, no, I used to be there. Okay, you used to be there and you're slipped back to the second chair. Then you need to repent there. But if you've never received Christ into your heart, if you're not sure you're in that first chair and you're thinking, you know, it kind of has been a little bit artificial. Wow. It's not real. It's just not real. Make it real by coming to the cross today and receiving Christ into your heart. You can do that by praying this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for being an awesome God. The one who created everything. The one who's going to end this world one day and end all the troubles that are involved. The awesome God that can overcome anything in my life. The awesome God who, who died on the cross and was resurrected miraculously on the third day. I want to give my heart to you. I want to give my heart to that God, that awesome God, by receiving Jesus into my heart. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Would you look this way? This morning, uh, you were, I believe, um, challenged to fill out the front of this welcome card. On the back, it says, My decision today. And it says, I've decided to surrender my life, the little shaded green area there, I've decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with Him. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, I want you to put a little check in that box. Now, you need to start growing in, in the Lord, and you need to know where to read in the Bible, and you need to know uh, how about, about praying and, and things like that. And your next steps, you need to know, you need some instruction. The Bible says you're like a little baby in Christ. You need instruction to grow. And we'll give it to you if you turn in this card in the offering plate. But, hey, here's one better. We'll start helping you now, this morning. And you can come up and take one of these gentlemen by the hand, one of our pastors by the hand, and just say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. And we'll, get you, we'll pray with you and get you started this morning as you talk to a real human being, okay? The altar's open. There's people here and say, I've been in the second chair. I've been in the second chair too long. I've got to get in the first year. Altar is open. Who would have the courage to, to start and come and say, I want to sit in that first year. I want to be that awesome Christian for an awesome God.
Right now, let's stand together. Chris is going to lead us in this song. Right now, I'm praying for you. Right now, you get up, you come. Come right now. Come quickly. heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment as these come. We invite others to come to the altar. The altar is still open. We're going to sing another verse uh, this morning, but with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, would you just say uh, to me, say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm in the first chair, and I really want to stay there. I want to stay in the first chair. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Would you lift up your hand? You're in the first chair, and you say, Pastor, pray for me. Hands going up all over the auditorium. But that's not, that's not even half. That's not probably less than a third. So where are you right now? And you say, well, I'm not ready to make a decision. What's going to make you ready? What's gonna ma- what, what else can I say? What else can God do to make you ready? Altar is open. These men are waiting for you. They're anticipating someone coming to them and saying, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. I prayed with him right now. Last verse, if no one comes, you come. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for these that have come today. And, Lord, I trust that they're making that commitment in their own heart to be where they need to be with the Lord. I pray for these, Lord, that raised their hand a few moments ago. Uh, They are those who feel that they are sitting in that first chair. And, Lord, I pray that you would further ignite their passion for you. I pray that you would help them to stay, uh, stay the course, stay there with you as a lordship of Christ in their life. Then I pray, Lord, for the others, that they, you, would not, you would help them, God, by not allowing them to rest and not, not allowing the seed of the Word of God to be taken out of their heart. But, God, you would help them to see a, their conviction and then a confession and then a complete followership of you. It's not only important to them, but important to the generations to follow. And, Lord, I pray that because of this, we will be part of the solution here in our neighborhood in our, in our country and in the world and not part of the problem. 
And we pray, God, right now that as we give, Lord, I pray that you'd make us a generous people, a generous church, a generous, generous individuals, that we would want to reach out and help other people. And God, we could do it through the church even right now. And I pray that you'd bless those who give, bless the offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated just a moment. And uh, ask Pam, Pam, if you bring those things. I think they're somewhere on the front pew. Somebody. Um, pardon me? All right. Laura, if you'll come on up. Sorry, that's not the plan for you to still already have those, but that's all right. We appreciate your help. You're welcome. All right. Come on up. As you, as you saw a few moments ago, somebody wanted to see Daddy and uh, came right up on the, the stage for that. All right. And, uh, <clears throat> well, as you know, we're uh, having some changes on staff, and one of the things that we uh, um, are going to be doing is uh, hiring one person to do both services, both styles of worship. And um, Chris has been just a, a great, great help to us by staying longer. I know that they plan had planned to move back to Georgia. They have some things in the works already. And uh, here, let me give you those. Ready. Um, I know that he has some, some things in the works. We need to be praying for them. But um, even though Chris is going to continue to be with us another few Sundays, this is Laura and the kids last Sunday with us. Uh, they're going to be moving back. Their, their lease is up. Of course, they've got to get ready for, you know, school's going to be settling in, things like that. They've got to get started on the new year. We understand that. But this is their last Sunday uh, with us. And uh, we have a couple of little things we'd like to give to you. And this time, guys, you can keep them, okay? <laughs> uh, we have little gift cards uh, to Toys R Us for each one uh, of the young, of their, of their children. Ah, that's what he really wanted. You know. And so uh, we have that. <laughs> hey, buddy, how you doing? You like that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this first money. Okay. And then um, I know that um, we have a card here for you guys, and this card has a uh, gift card for a meal at the Olive Garden. And uh, I know that you're going to be wanting to either go to the Olive Garden before or after what we have here for you, and that is two tickets to the Georgia football game in Athens on September the 10th. And so, go dogs. <laughs> And it's it really it's a game that we have a chance to win, so that's pretty good too. You know, have a good time that way. Less stress, have a good time. And so uh, I know that y'all have a good time there as well. And uh, I know that um, you're like me. You really appreciate uh, not only their spirit and their love for Jesus and their help here in the church as a whole, but Chris with his uh, leading of worship and uh, his heart for the Lord and how you know he writes songs and leads us in worship. I know he's done a great job for us here in the last four years. And as, uh, as we send them off back home, let's give them a round of applause. Shall we do that? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. I know that uh, y'all will be around. I know people are going to want to say hello and goodbye and things like that. And, oh, my goodness, money on the floor. <laughs> it's pretty torn up already there, isn't it? It's a good thing that's a solid plastic. Um, 
instead of a cardboard. But um, I know you're going to want to uh, tell them, buy back, especially some of the closest friends. And so we will give you a chance to do that as they hang out up here a little bit after the service. Um, my wife and I will be back in the hospitality suite. We had a great time of visiting last, um, last uh, Sunday. A lot of people came by. We want to see you there again. We just want to say hello to you, get a chance to get to know you a little bit. It's not one of those things where we're pressuring you to join the church. In fact, nothing like that's going to be talked about. Just answering your questions. Just give a chance to, to get to know you, and you get to know me and a, a few staff members that are going to be in the room as well. And that's right across the atrium in the hospitality center. 